0: If you're newer to us, we have been and are marching our way through the Gospel of Luke. And for those of you who have been here, you'll remember just last week, Pastor Jared gave an amazing sermon about the triumphal entry. It's where our King Jesus entered Jerusalem. And as he did, he set in motion a series of events. There's basically one week from the triumphal entry until his crucifixion. And in that intervening week, most of the ministry of Christ is going to center on the temple, in the temple, around the temple. So let me let you know just a little bit about that temple. It was a very impressive property, huge, huge, expansive, massive property. It was the epicenter of Jewish religion, the focal point of the worship of the one true God, Yahweh, as he was known. Now Jesus, when he gets to Jerusalem, he enters this temple, and they would be thinking, this is it. This is the Messiah. And he's not only gotten in, into Jerusalem, but now he's in the temple. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Wait for it, here it comes. What will Jesus do? What will, Je- will there be angelic choruses breaking out? Will everybody bow in worship? Is he going to go ballistic and kick all the Romans out of Jerusalem? Is it going to be another transfiguration? What will Jesus do? way, <laughs> WWJD. Do you guys remember that from the 90s? All these bracelets? You all probably had these, didn't you, right? WWJD. Oh, you could get the hats and the t-shirts and the bumper sticker and the keychain, whatever. It stands for what would Jesus do? And some people started hating on that. I don't think it's a bad question. It's basically saying, I want to be like my Lord Jesus. And in whatever circumstance I am, I want to ask the question, what would my Lord do here? What would Jesus do? And then do that because I want to be like Jesus. And so the question is, what would Jesus do? Sometimes the answer to that question might be kind of surprising to you. And it'll be a little bit of a twist in this morning's passage. So we find ourselves in Luke chapter 19, verse 45. And here's what we read. And he entered the temple... So WWJD. This is interesting. Luke kind of glosses this a little bit. When you go into the other Gospels like Matthew and Mark, you find out some details. Uh, What actually Jesus did, he came in and he found like a lot of commercial traffic going on in the temple. He gets ticked. He starts flipping tables over. Coins are going scattering across the floor. He forms a whip. When it says he drove them out, he drove them out with a whip. It's like when you say WWJD, Evidently, tossing tables and making a whip is within the realm of possibilities, okay? Like, that's an option on the table there, WWJD. So, the question is, why does Jesus get so upset? Well, see, under the old covenant, this massive temple in Jerusalem was the key place to connect with God. This is where people would go to pray. It shall be a house of prayer, to pray and connect with God, to worship Him, but also to seek forgiveness from God. That brings up the Jewish sacrificial system. You see, God said that when you sin, death will come. Death is coming because of your sin. It's either coming to you or to another. Somebody has to pay for it. Blood has to be shed. And so they would have a hope. They would be looking forward to the Lamb of God who would come and once for all pay the price, pay the penalty for sin so that our guilt would go to Him and His blood would cover us. But until that one comes, until the Messiah would come, what they would do is they had this kind of temporary system. What would happen is you go into the temple And basically, people are going honestly and they're going humbly and they're saying, God, I blew it again. I suck at life. I can't get it right. I keep screwing up. God, could I have grace? God, could I have mercy? God, would you allow my sin guilt to pass to this animal and that it could die in my place? That's what they're asking. Let its blood cover my sin. So the Jews sacrificed animals day after day, year after year, never fully satisfying the grace of God. Always just kind of kicking the can down the road to the future when the Messiah would come. It's like our sin is a cancer. And all we're doing is we're just kind of delaying the inevitable. We're just kind of keeping the cancer at bay. We're waiting for the real doctor to come who will finally cure it. These sacrifices were ongoing, waiting for the Messiah to set it right. So the Jewish leaders, in light of this practice, they had like a eureka moment. Like the light bulb went on above them and they went, oh my goodness, this is sweet. We can make money off this. We can make bank off of this. We can leverage the people's guilt. We can leverage their desire to connect with God. And we can charge admission. They literally did that. There was a temple tax, like a cover charge, to just get into the building. You had to pay money. Now, when you get in, remember, you're coming to make a sacrifice. So you need to buy a sacrifice uh, oftentimes, or you could bring one, right? There would be wine sacrifices, grain, salt, uh, certainly animals, doves, all kinds of other animals. So you'd be making a sacrifice. But if you brought your own, they would look at it and go, yeah, that dove, no, that's not good enough. Won't, work, won't do You need to buy one here. Now, usually you wouldn't bring one with you anyway, because you're traveling from a long distance away. You don't want all that luggage, right? And so you would have to buy one at the temple. Okay. But you have another problem. You do not, you do not have the right currency. They took a very specific, the Hebrew shekel was the currency of the temple, and you probably had something else. And so they go, oh, no, first you need to exchange your money before we'll take it. So you got to go to one of the exchange booths, which were all over the place. And when you went there, what happened is there was an incredible, exorbitant exchange fee. They're going to rip you off before you even buy your sacrifice. Okay? Well, you bite the bullet. you got to do it, so you exchange your money. Now with what you have left, you have to go buy a sacrifice, and they're going to rip you off. Have you ever bought candy at a movie theater? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like that. Because they got you, right? Where else are you going to buy it? Well... Okay, let's be honest. How many of you smuggle contraband? There there it is. Everybody else that didn't raise your hands we will pray for your honesty, right? Because y'all are going in with those parkas, right? And it's just, all right, kid, what do you want, you know? Oh, my goodness. But you got to pay like 20 bucks for this little box of milk duds. It's ridiculous, right? Listen, when you're at the temple, it's not about candy at a movie theater. It's about your ability to connect with God. Whether or not you're forgiven by him. Can you imagine monetizing that and ripping people off? That's what's going on there. They commercialized the temple so that it was like a circus. It was like a a market. Have you gone to Niagara Falls? Just gorgeous, isn't it? Those falls are beautiful. But you know, they've really monetized it, haven't they? You go into the town beside those, and they are finding ways to make money, and it is gaudy and gross. It is not a natural beauty. Right? That's, that's kind of what it's like. They took something beautiful, connecting with God, and they turned it into something gaudy, gross, and commercial. And that's what it looked like. So there's booze, and there's markets, and there's money, and there's animals. All this stuff is going on in order to make transactions. Now, you know who got a cut of every transaction? The Jewish religious leadership. They're making it on every table that's in there. It's corruption. It's saying, how can I use religion to extort money from people? That's what's going on there. And so here people are coming hurting and broken and messy and desiring to connect with God, and they are just ripping them off in the name of God. Now do you see why Jesus got so ticked? So consider that Jesus is in the process. He's going to great expense of his own. The incarnation cost him. Right, The crucifixion, really going to cost him. But he's willing to die to pay the price. Why? Because he wants to help people connect with God. And then he comes into the temple and he encounters this practice where they are using religion to extort money from people. And he flies into a holy rage. Jesus loves the Father, and He loves people, and He wants to help them connect. And so when He encounters this perversion that is actually doing the opposite, it's distancing people from God, and it's not helping them. He gets upset. I've, um, I've felt this a couple times. Sometimes people come to me, and they say things like, Pastor Rick, I, I've gone to church my whole life, but I, I've been coming here to redemption just the last couple months. And, and I finally heard the gospel, and I finally connected with Jesus, and I'm finally growing in a relationship with Him. Part of that I love hearing, that we've actually helped them. Let me give you a side note. We don't have a corner on the market. There's many good churches out there that are preaching the gospel and helping people. We're not unique in that way. But I get ticked in that moment, because what I just heard, is I heard somebody that's been going to church their whole stinking life, every Sunday, going in hungry, wanting to connect with God, and nobody gave him the gospel? How is that? Why? What's going on? It's because somebody out there is more concerned with property and money and position instead of helping people connect with God. And I get ticked. But you got to know, like when it comes to Jesus' holiness and Rick's, like they're very different, right? And so, so like Jesus has a very much higher standard and he gets way more ticked than I do. And he starts flipping tables. Now, imagine you move into a tough part of town. And there's a lot of gang activity there. That You're in some gang's turf where they're doing a lot of drug trade. And you don't like it, right? And so you start to disrupt their, their drug traffic. You know that gang's coming after you, right? They're not going to be cool with you messing with their, their turf, their property, their money, and their position. And so that's what's going to happen with the Jewish leadership. They are going to be coming after Jesus. They already have religious objections to Jesus. Now Jesus is messing with their property, their money, and their position. So they're going to be coming after him, and they want to kill him. Listen, if Satan isn't messing with you, it's probably because he doesn't need to. But, But when you start to mess with Satan's stuff, he's going to come after you. And so these Jewish leaders want to kill Jesus, but they have a problem. The problem is that the people are surrounding them. They love Jesus. They're hanging on every word at this point. Oh, they'll be persuaded in another direction in about a week. But, but at this point, they are hanging on every word. And so the Jewish leaders then are just looking for some opportunity to confront Jesus. And they get it. And that's the rest of our passage. We now roll into chapter 20. Let's look at the first eight verses. It says, one day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, tell us, by what authority do you do these things? Or who it is that gave you this authority? He answered them, I will also ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered him that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So they go up to Jesus, and they're basically questioning his right, his authority, His position to do these things. And the basic question is like, who the heck do you think you are, man? Come in here flip. You know, another way of putting it is you're not the boss of me. You ever heard that phrase? You're not the boss of me, right? You think only little kids do it. In our house, we joke a lot. Shannon says it to me all the time. Right? Hey Shannon, would you be able to pick up? You're not the boss of me. At which point I remind her that I'm her boss's boss. See, she's our women's ministry director. She reports to Jared, who reports to me. <laughs> yeah, all the women just went, uh oh. <laughs> yeah, you know those times where you like, win and lose at the same time? Yeah, that's one of those times. <laughs> Every time. Never works out well for me. So, yeah, so they're basically saying, hey, you're not the boss of me. Who the heck do you think you are, Jesus? You understand there was a very well defined authority hierarchy in the temple. And this random Jesus guy just shows up and starts calling big shots. You can't do that. He's cutting in to their property and their money and their position. Who the heck do you think you are? Now, the, the question of authority is an important one. Listen, if anyone can just show up to the temple and say, I don't like this, and start flipping tables, that's going to be chaos. That's going to be anarchy. And of course, you're going to say, well, I felt led by God to do it. Pfft, everybody says that, right? Right? can't just claim that God told you to do it. You have to have legitimate authority. We experience this in our church context at times. People show up, maybe they're new. And they, as soon as they show up, sometimes they want to tell us how we should be running our church. Or they, they say, hey, next Sunday, I want to give the sermon. Oh, God bless you. Uh, it, that's great. That's great. Uh, or they say, hey, I want to be an elder. And it's like, look, if, if your name is Messiah, okay, if not, not. Like, it's just not happening like that. You have to have, because every time they're going to give flowery spiritual language of, well, God's leading me to do it. you got to have legitimate authority. So it's an important question about Jesus' authority. So what they're actually saying to him is, uh, hey, you're starting to call shots. Which camp are you in? Who are you from? Which people? Like, are you a Sadducee? Are you one of the Pharisees? Are you a scribe? Are you a priest? Are you an elder? Are you a layman? Which camp? Who's backing you? The thing they missed (laughs) is another camp. God. Right? Like, Jesus is God in the flesh. He's acting in his own authority. That's like the authority right there. And so what Jesus does in response to their question, he makes this kind of random move. He just starts talking about John the Baptist. that surprise you? That was kind of weird. That's not random at all. Remember, John the Baptist had no legitimate formal authority. He wasn't a Pharisee or a scribe or a priest. But he was clearly from God and he was clearly doing work for God and the people knew it and they loved John and they loved the influence of his ministry. And so the Jewish leaders knew if they deny John, the people will turn on them and stone them. It's that serious. But what if they affirm John? Oh, remember some things. Do you remember uh, John the Baptist is the one who baptized Jesus? And when he did, the Spirit descended like a dove on Jesus, and the voice of the Father came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son. It was John the Baptist who would point at Jesus and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was also John the Baptist who would say, And I have seen and have borne witness that this is, is the Son of God. Okay, so Jesus put them on the horns of a dilemma. If they hate on John, the people will stone them. But if they affirm John, they affirm Jesus. That's a genius move right there. Can I just give you a tip? Never debate with Jesus. Never debate with Jesus. It will never go well for you, right? So what they do is this is kind of a hilarious scene where they, they go, huddle. Call that, they call a little committee huddle thing. Like, we got we to circle up and talk about this, right? Like, holy crap, he's got us. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? So, so what they say is, uh, uh, we don't know. We don't know. It's like when it's fourth and long, you got nothing, you just punt, right? We don't know. You ever put your kids on the, the horns of a dilemma? Ask your child, hey, how would you feel if I treat you like you're treating me? I don't know. right? It's, it's, it's the go-to, right? Because you're stuck. Now, for the religious leaders, it's a stunning admission that they, as God's religious leaders, have no idea whether or not a prophet named John was from God or not. This is a stunning admission. And if they don't know whether or not John's from God, how can they be trusted to know whether or not Jesus is from God? See what's going on there? But the reality is, those leaders were not concerned about truth, and they were not concerned about the movement of God. They were concerned about property, money, and position. So they say, we don't know. And then John, Jesus makes a strong move. He says, well, fine, if you won't answer my question, I won't answer yours. <laughs> Jesus is he's very willing to coach the coachable, but he will command the uncoachable. If they aren't coachable, what's the point? And and I'm getting more and more to this point in my life and in my ministry where if somebody's humble and teachable, man, that's a great investment of time. But if somebody just wants to debate and argue and the door's locked, man, I'm wasting my time and theirs. And I'm just throwing pearls before swine. So we, we still need to love them. We still need to serve them. We need to be compassionate with them. But we also need to realize in that moment that more words isn't going to move the needle at all. And Jesus knew it, so he just shuts it down. And by the way, you might be waiting for the next paragraph. No, that's the end of the story. It just kind of abruptly ends right there. Jesus just shuts it down. Now, I've done a, a lot of work this morning kind of unpacking the passage. What I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to talk about organized religion. Organized religion is something that has fallen into quite disfavor in our society. Certainly among atheists who just don't want God or religion at all, and organized religion is just anathema. It's horrible. But it's interesting how it's even creeping into Christianity. Where more and more Christians are like, well, I'm all into Jesus, but I don't like the church. You understand, Jesus calls his church the bride. When you diss the bride, the groom ain't happy. Right, but a lot of people are saying things like that. Where I'll just—it's just me and and Pastor Pillow and Elder Sheets on Sunday morning. You know, or, or it's just me and my buddy. We'll just have a Bible said. We'll call that church. Or I've f- seen things like this on the internet. You can believe in God without attending places of worship. Faith is in the heart, and you can worship anywhere, anytime. Now, just so you know that's technically true. Those are all factual statements. But the sum total of them is to say you don't need to go to church. You just need Jesus without church. Anti-organized religion. The reality is organized religion is not the problem. It is bad organized religion that is the problem. And bad organized religion is when it is all about property and money and position. And we're going to talk through those. But first I want to empathize. Because I realize many of you have been stung by bad organized religion in the past. And you've been hurt by a pastor or by a church or by an elder. And I want you to hear very clearly, Jesus doesn't like it either. To the point where he'll flip tables and make a whip. He doesn't like bad organized religion. And yes, there are bad churches out there. And yes, there are bad pastors out there. But the good news is that our faith is not in them. Our faith is in Jesus and he's the perfect one. Now, nonetheless, Jesus doesn't let you off the hook with organized religion. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. And then he appointed apostles, and the apostles appointed elders in in his ministry. And then you find in the New Testament that we're supposed to submit to local church leadership. And there's church discipline. And there's ordinances. And there's a collection of money. And there's the spending of money. By the way, everything I'm mentioning are things in the New Testament. That sounds to me like organized religion. Yeah, it's in there. It's in there. We should not be against organization. How many of you say this? I'm anti-organized business. Yeah, you don't say that, do you? What if you invest in a business and you come to find out, yeah, we don't like organization here. Yeah, I'm not investing in you, right? That's just bad business, right? The point of organization is simply to make something more effective, more efficient, make it better at doing its purpose. The question is, what's the purpose? What's the goal? That's the issue. And for the Jewish leaders, the purpose, the goal, was property, money, and position. That leads to bad organized religion but when you go to church even though there are some bad churches out there i grant that but the way it's supposed to work is it's all about helping messy broken hurting people who feel very distant from a holy god and helping them connect Helping them grow, helping them heal, helping them worship. And you're blessing the people and you're serving God. And that is such a worthy goal. And can I tell you, it's so worth it. Let's make it organized. Let's make it more effective. That's a good goal. We're not anti-organized religion. We're anti-bad organized religion. And what I'm begging you is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let me ask you this. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and had a bad meal, bad experience? You found a bad restaurant? Did you swear off restaurants? You didn't, did you? You just assumed, no, this is a bad one. We won't go here anymore. We'll go to a different restaurant. And so that's what you got to do with church. You find a bad one, you swear off that church, not churches. You find a good one. How do you find a good one? How can you tell? Well, it, it, we're going to work through property, money, and position then. To figure that out, let's first talk about property. Our faith is in our Lord, not in our land. Okay? A church is built out of flesh and bone, not brick and mortar. You are not sitting in a church right now. You are seated as a church. The church is not around us. The church is sitting in front of me. It's flesh and bone. And so, when you know the difference. Listen, when your house burns down, hope it doesn't happen, your house burns down, but your family lives, you go, man, the house is a huge loss, but praise God, our family lives. You understand the difference between your family and the structure in which your family lives. This is our family. This building around us is just a, a, a house. It can come or go. Now, some churches miss that, and they deify the building, and it's all about the building, and they serve the property, and that's bad organized religion. And we're going to have to be very careful, redemption family. Because as our ministry is growing, we just put up more brick and mortar. And we've got to be very careful as we get in that shiny new toy that it doesn't become about a building, that it stays about Jesus and people, and that's it. And the brick and mortar is just there to serve kingdom goals. That's it. That's property. Now let's talk about money. Let me just be honest with you. Conducting a ministry takes money. Especially one of this size. But here's a question. Do we use money to facilitate worship or do we use worship to facilitate money? That's what the Jewish leaders did. They used worship to raise money. No, no. We take money and we help people worship. That's very different. How much do we charge people to connect with God? Zero. Zero. Connecting with God should be free, and it is. Now, granted, in the New Testament, yes, there are passages that command the disciples of Jesus to support their church, yes. And as members, when you go through membership, if you commit in covenant, then you're committing to support the ministry of your church. Do you know what, to what degree, what percentage? We don't say. Do you know how we track? We don't have a mechanism for tracking. Mean, we don't call up members, you're falling behind. We don't have a mechanism like that. And the reason why is because we want people to give out of joy and gratitude and worship and vision. We don't want people giving out of duty and guilt and obligation. I'd better give or I can't connect with God. Uh -uh. That's not why. That's not why. You see, organized religion can be either good or bad. Now it takes money, but the question is, another question is, is the money being used to enrich the kingdom of God? Or is the money being used to enrich the religious leadership? And uh, <laughs> I've seen it go in both directions. Let me, let me make it personal for just a sec. Uh, we are not technically, by the technical definition, we're not a megachurch. We're growing quick. We might be there. Who cares? Who cares? But, but as I look out in the American landscape, there are megachurches out there. And some of you have seen the news reports on some of their mansions. The mega church pastors in their mansions. So you know, I, I live <laughs> in a, a, a ranch in Kent that's 1,250 square feet. There's my mansion. Uh, maybe you've heard of some of these mega church pastors who have their own private jet. Uh, my private jet is a 10 year old Chevy pickup truck, <laughs> and I love it. Have you heard of preachers in sneakers? It's on Instagram, preachers and in sneakers, oh my goodness. And it, uh, it basically catalogs uh, some of these megachurch pastors who wear sneakers on stage to open the word of God. And those sneakers, uh, one pair are worth 500 to $5,000. Couldn't imagine, I wear Chuck's. I just want you to know, uh, we are committed to using money to facilitate worship, not using worship to facilitate money. That's money. Now let's talk lastly about position. There is a cult of personality that has crept into modern Christianity, and it's sickening. There is one cult of personality in our church. It's all about Jesus. That's the personality we surround. And and so sometimes you got to ask questions like, who is the big deal at the church? Is the big deal Jesus or is it the pastor? Are we building a brand around a pastor or are we building the kingdom of God? This is why my name will never appear on the sign out front. Because it's not about me, it's about Jesus. Does it all revolve around a pastor? Hey, let me be honest with you about something. I, I quite likely won't meet with you. There it is. People call up, I've got to meet with Pastor Rick. Uh, here's the thing, I'm just a man. I, I, I'm not, I, it's not that I won't meet with you out of pride, it's out of humility. I'm just a man, I'm very limited in my time, and I've got a family I'm called to minister to as well. And, and, and I can't possibly do it all. In fact, I'm not called to. Uh, listen, if you have to meet with me, that's because I'm your Savior. And now you've got another problem. A much bigger problem than you thought to begin with. That's why we have awesome associate pastors. We've got a great staff team. We've got great elders and lay members of the congregation. Yes, you need to meet with a human being. You need the body of Christ, the priesthood of all believers. I'm just a dude. And so one of the questions we can ask then is, do you At a church, when we're we're judging organized religion based on position, do the leaders serve the people or do we use the people to serve the leaders? See, Jesus loves people and used his position. When organized religion goes bad, we love position and we use people. See how that flipped? This was clarified to me by the greatest movie of all time, braveheart right so watch this clip if you will there's a difference between us you think the people of this country exist to provide you with position i think your position exists to provide those people with freedom and i go to make sure that they have it you feel that difference you think the people exist to provide you with position. I think your position exists to provide them with freedom. The reason why I love Braveheart is because if it's not Scottish, it's crap. <laughs> uh, but also, uh, that, is, that just mimics the gospel. You understand Wallace is a Christ figure in that movie. And and that is what Jesus did. He came into the temple. He found people using, the the leaders that were using people to provide them with position. And he said, no, no, no. I'm gonna use my position to serve the people. And that's a big difference. So that's bad organized religion. It's all about property, money, and position. Now, to wrap up, so what? What do we do with this? Well, first of all, if you have been Stung by bad organized religion. Again, I'm very sorry, but I want to beg you not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Find a good church. Find a good one. If you've decided that Redemption Chapel is your home church, can we covenant together that we will make a big deal out of God, not out of Redemption Chapel? I love this church. I know many of you love this church. This church is not a savior. Jesus is. And so let's make a big deal out of Him. He must increase. We must decrease. And as we go about His ministry, yes, let's organize. Let's make it really effective and good. But for kingdom purposes, not for us. And then lastly, um, it's really easy to throw shade at the church. But what about you? Personalize it. You understand God has given you Property, money, and position. And the question is, what are you doing with that? Are you using it? You're like trying to use God to serve your purposes or using what He's given you to serve His kingdom? Don't just throw shade at the church. Judge yourself on that, okay? All right. Dwell on that this week. For now, let me pray. Father, thank You very, very much that you sent the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And as he came and encountered bad organized religion, I am so glad that he is the kind of Messiah that starts flipping tables. Thank you that he passionately loved a punk like me and my brothers and sisters here. and That he came and paid the tab. And Father, we want to admit before you, we like the Jewish leadership, we have a tendency towards bad organized religion ourselves. And I want to ask your protection upon this church right here that you would keep us from going sour. And if if we do, remove us, Lord. Would you use us, please, to serve your kingdom? For we love you. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.